Restart. Be Real is presented by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means you can paint and write, design and write, and make a film and write. You can also just write. Look for their faculty member Leslie Carroll Roberts' critically acclaimed Here is Where I Walk, Episodes from a Life in the Forest, out now from University of Nevada Press, and Adam Nemetz, We Can Save Us All, from Unnamed Press. For more information, power on your computer and visit cca.edu slash writing MFA. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising genre hopping podcast in the Playlist Podcast Network. This show is called Be Real. My name's Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. Noah Fewer than 24 hours ago, we talked about Kirk Douglas till we could no longer speak. Um, so we've decided to throw down another gauntlet. That's right. We're doing the re-release of 1985's Come and See. Kind of a cult movie, famous for its very graphic depiction of war violence in a, mm-hmm. the Belarusian part of the World War II German front. This is not a traditional episode of Be Real. We just thought we would deep dive on this movie, which is uh, one of the more acclaimed but uh, lesser known war. It has that. It has that intersection of I think, if you ask uh, casual cinephiles about this movie, uh, including us, before we did the show, they don't know what this is. And yet, if you look at the praise for this movie, um, people regard it. Uh, are actively, and I'm sure this will happen as the movie gets released, kind of recanonizing it among the top or most visceral war films ever. Well, that's the topical peg, too, is that Janice has done a 2K restoration on the print after the whole thing was like put back together in 2017, and now they're releasing it theatrically, and then Chance, you confirmed that Criterion Collection is putting it out on their streaming platform. Yeah, so the details are still a hair sketchy. There's a December 26th tweet from Janice that seems to confirm that there will be a Criterion release, physical release, hopefully, of Come and See. It just says, we'll be on sale soon at Criterion. The companies have a history of working together. Um, You can watch Come and See on the Criterion channel in its unrestored form now, anytime you want. But all we have to really uh, predict a... Come and see Blu-ray is this mountain of circumstantial evidence. Hang tight. So yeah, the only theatrical details I have for you at this point, you lucky New Yorkers, is uh, February 21st through March the 3rd, uh, this restoration is playing at the Film Forum. Um, presumably, there'll be some other screenings around the country, but... It's no a decent theater. Good sight lines. Oh yeah? You talking about line of sight? I'm, so- I'm talking about line of sight. <laughs> this is an Independence Day podcast, right? <laughs> That's incredible that we got an Independence Day reference into a movie uh, podcast like this one. But yeah, so I want to talk kind of about the look of the restoration. 
I was listening back and uh, Eric McClanahan and Ryan Oliver and Octavia Kozak did a show in which they touched on Come and See um, a couple years ago in the sort of like great an anti great anti-war films podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. By the way, rate, subscribe, listen to Be Real wherever you get your other Playlist shows and do check out our sibling shows like The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, and Indie Beat. But Ryan and Ege and... Eric, we're going nuts, praying for a beautiful restoration of this film because some of the transfers we were working with a couple years ago were, were, were no bueno, I guess. And this thing looks gorgeous now. So the movie follows this young boy who has aspirations of being part of the Belarusian resistance to the Nazis. And to do that, he like, in the first scene, he digs up a gun from like a World War One battle site and like runs with it to back to his house and is quickly recruited. And then we see his sort of like ersatz male training in the forests after he gets recruited and he like falls for this young woman. And then they sort of take pity on him. Cause he's what, like 12 or 13 years old, maybe I think he's supposed to be 14 or 15, but he it's what it is. Is it like perfectly synthesizes this point that happens in every terrible total war where it's like it's kid time like all the able-bodied men are dead and like it's the basically send the 15 year olds to the front and that's what point the eastern war is at in 1943 well it's not quite there because he doesn't actually go to the war they keep him behind and send all the strapping men to the front but because he's there alone uh or with his this sort of like uh this townsperson that comes to hang out because she's got like a little something, something going on with the captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two of them kind of play fort in the the camp that they have as like the backup camp until, of course, they like get the shit bombed out of them and right. they're thrust into the mercilessness of, yeah, the climax of World War II. So this is a film by a Russian director named Elam Klimov, uh, who had made some, I think he made about 10 other films preceding this. This is notably his last film. And he essentially retires saying like, there's nothing else with filmmaking that I could do. And this movie really does have that feeling. I'm not going to argue with that. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, we you hereby support his uh, his hanging it up after this one. Well, this thing like on the outset of it, if you're just like a casual film goer here and you like listen to this podcast to like be amused and like hope that we do a movie that you know was in mainstream release for any number of weeks, you have to know going into this movie that it's like two plus hours of russian english subtitle kind of foreign strangeness that devolves into like very very ahead of its time graphic and thematically graphic territory 
So that's like kind of all I knew going into it. And I think because of that, I was texting you about this chance. I went into sort of like a fugue state, like right before they get bombed out. And like kind of when they're crawling through all that mud, I was like, where the hell is all this going? Like what, what's at the end of this? And I like Mm kind of then because of that longing, like bought into the story in the way you're supposed to buy into that movie magic thing. And then was just like absolutely devastated by the end, uh, especially like walking out of the theater, just seeing the lengths a to which the filmmakers go. And then then to which like the characters go. And it's very brutal and visceral and like, the camera just refuses to cut on certain scenes where you like pray that like, show me something else. Even if it's just like, like a, like a weird mud pit, which is like just viscerally gross. Or if it's just like a scene of torture. Yeah. The final set pieces over a half an hour of the uninterrupted wiping out of a entire Belarusian village um yeah bloodthirsty bloodthirsty nazis yes so yeah maybe we can sort of like clear the palette a little bit like is this movie a great fit for our like technical quality and rewatchability format not really it's it doesn't really lend itself to that um i want to go good good is the ideal here this movie's not a natural uh contender for that that praise no because it's incredibly taxing and you should know what you're getting into as noah said but i want to go deep and give it its respect before we maybe wrap back around to that um it's totally kind of engrossing and immersive and a lot of that goes to um the klimov's direction and what is shown on screen but there's always like something happening in this movie there's always something kind of that maybe even seems like adjacent we're like why is there a stork in this movie why is there a marmoset in this movie suddenly? But there's always like something to look at and try to make sense of um, because of its like flirtations with dream logic or the idea that um, something subconscious in Floria is working itself out in this like horribly like literalized way. I want to talk about this a little bit in terms of it's very Russian or Soviet POV. So the the Soviet film cabinet in the late 70s puts this movie in a six-year holding pattern because it wasn't propagandic enough. Like it didn't, there was a, Klimov gave an interview where he talked about um, the government didn't like it because it didn't depict the partisans as successful enough. Like why was the village allowed to be destroyed? Which I think is such a, um, in retrospect, like slightly humorous um searching for victory in a movie that is like holy shit not about anyone's victory no that's one of the 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 few moments of levity to be derived from this film is thinking about how it's not propaganda (laughs) about yeah about how some like russian bureaucrat was like i thought you were making a movie in which we won but i imagine it does say something about that sort of hardening of the soviet spirit like in this time and it's so beautifully encapsulated by Alexei Kravchenko, who's the little boy who turns into like a Benjamin Button old man by the end of this movie because he's seen such horrors. Yeah. Um, and apparently that wasn't all makeup. They shot like live ammo at him and like made him go through hypnot- 
uh, hypnotists, whatever, made yeah. him go through hypnosis to like rid him of the night terrors this movie brought on. His hair does literally change color by the end. That's not dye. Incredible. Um, unethical and incredible. <laughs> well, that's what the guys were talking about as I was walking out of the screening is that like you can't make a movie like this in 2019 or 2020 when you just like straight up torture a motherfucker and then film it for entertainment value or something, which is kind of what they did with this young man. And I can't imagine being part of the filming was like, you know, a ton of fun either. How Klimov got the performances out of the guys playing the Nazis. Like you forget that they're actors and you hate them. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it is. You absolutely hate them. I think that's the thing though. I don't think there is a lot of, uh, hey, come say the line this way. I think when you do a full scale live ammo dead cow reenactment of genocide i think it's probably disturbingly easy to get into character yeah who knows but god like being on the set for this thing i want to come back to something you said though because i think it's super smart and it was something i want to talk about the the hardening of the soviet spirit try to watch international films they broaden your horizons but watching this movie is like being deprogrammed in real time out of the american world war ii film i just watched this documentary called state funeral which is just a footage archival footage only uh preparation doc for stalin's funeral it's not terribly exciting uh, it doesn't (laughs) sound uh exciting from your description but it's fascinating to see just all of these like it goes to people in estonia people in the baltics people in like almost mongolia like hearing about stalin's death and all the dignitaries arriving and you just see like a lot of very like emotionally calcified people but who also like very strongly believe in this thing and of course from the outside like believing in stalin is um that not good <laughs> uh but yeah but i think the power of this movie lies in sort of a like let me explain to you how my culture and the pathos of my people is like ripped open. What's well, interesting too, because the movie opens with this scene of a mother and son that doesn't quite add up to like a Western viewing of it. The relationship that the mother has with her son. Yeah. And like the feeling it, you only have, you sort of have to yeah, deprogram yourself into realizing that, She's so upset, but she's not really upset for losing him so much as like losing sort of the the father figure and the the paternal figure in the house almost. Like it almost is her doom in this society for the male person in the household to leave. And 100%. so she's like dragging him to stay, but not out of the sort of maternal love that maybe we'd come to respect. It's a very desperate sort of wishing for him to stay. Totally. Let's talk about how this movie looks a little bit. Um, Playlist DIC, Rodrigo Perez kind of pitched this to us as uh, Malik meets Kubrick. So I kind of couldn't get those comparisons out of my head. They are quite accurate. um, There's a very harrowing moment. uh, Just one harrowing moment? One of the most harrowing moments in the movie is uh, 
this village elder burned alive basically and gives this monologue back to Floria and in the reverse shot back at him as he recoils in horror and then the steady cam follows him back through the crowd is very Kubrick. It's very The Shining, highly reminiscent of the scene of Nicholson recoiling from the bathtub once that uh, more horrible skin is revealed. Very reminiscent of The Shining. For sure. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of good set pieces too that feel, as I was mentioning earlier, so tactile and real. Yeah. The mud especially, but even in like when they're sort of like crawling through those hills too and it's like half mud and like half solid and they're kind of hidden but kind of not. And then, yeah, I mean, all hell breaks loose, you know, on this excursion they're on to find food for for the group of refugees. But Jesus Christ. Let's talk about sense of place though. Cause I actually, I think I was trying to come up with something um, like original to say about this movie that has been written about and spoken about by a lot of smart cinephiles and critics. Um, I think the thing that makes this movie really specific and really powerful, both like visually and narratively is you're basically seeing a story of catastrophe unfold in the 10 miles around this kid's home. This is war that happens at home. So what is essentially like a sort of morbid sand playground like turns into a battlefield and he never sees his home destroyed. But the other like big thematic twist of the movie is that he kind of like blanks out. He intentionally like doesn't see his own, the destruction of his own village and then has to in real time, go through the rendition of his neighboring village. That is an interesting set piece you bring up too, where they're just like hanging out in his house and there's like this buzzing of flies that like just won't go away, but they like can't find any bodies anywhere. Right. And they're just like farting around being like, oh, my mom and everybody I know must be like off somewhere else. Oh my God. And then they like kind of, they run out of town to go find them, but it's sort of in like a passing shot, this like brutal image of everybody in town that's like laid up in a pile against the house they were just sitting in just like covered with blood right and you'll find out later just like the kind of terror they must have seen but it is a kind of interesting moment too now that you mention it whereas you know it's almost like the as we discussed in the kirk douglas pod where he would have ended rambo with like rambo dying this movie kind of because the final destination of it all had him separated from being in this town and miss the fury of the Nazis, it almost kind of like writes his ticket to like, you can't go forward in your life until you have seen the horror that you missed out on. It's true. That's like the, the cruel morality of this movie, which is, that's tough. They thought Billy Wilder was cynical. Look at this fucking guy. (laughs) I want to point out a a wonderful thing about this restoration. Um, I think that even in some of the lesser previous transfers, things like the the carnage hit home visually. But one of the I sent you some screenshots, and you were teasing me about Brown looking like Brown. Um, you're you're not a you're not Roger Deakins. Um, but the uh, the bigger difference is in 
the minute textures of the setting. Like the arid sand dunes like around where he lives are really kind of like vivid and in the restoration that super comes through. Like I went back and looked at old transfers where everything looks kind of blank and bleak and it has one of the great effects of the movie is that the setting is his home. Like I said, it's not bleak. This is not a visually bleak movie. No, it's springtime. Yeah, so the thematically bleak things cut you way deeper. Yeah, this is not Belarus in the middle of winter. This is like the most sort of alive season they get. And that's part of the the weirdness of it is that nature has come alive in this place that you've only really seen as like bleak in like Siberia or something. I think if you as the viewer like arrive in the place and you say, oh, it already kind of looks like they live in hell. Like you kind of distance yourself from the forcible changing of the seasons on this kid's life. And the fact that the uh, interactions that uh, Floria has with Glasha in the sort of the underpinnings of the canopy as they're like taking showers from the rainwater off the leaf. Like it's gorgeous. Good scene. Yeah. I will say also of the transfer too is the sound is so good. And I imagine not as clear and specific because this movie really does call for, like I said, those fly noises and like the water and even like the ringing in his ears is like, so it's unlike anything I've heard in a movie before to synthesize the lack of noise on screen. Mm -hmm. In the podcast I referred to earlier, Eric Uh, made the comparison to Dunkirk, which I think is really apt. The sort of like white noise that's like a little too loud, so it's always encroaching. But I think a really interesting choice that Klimov makes uh, with the planes is that uh, they're all those like space age recon planes, right? So like the buzzing is actually very like, like it's really interesting sounding. And the fact that that leads to... uh, the dropping of bombs and the inevitable carnage is actually sort of more disorienting than just the Christopher Nolan, like Stuka's the like, you know, I agreed. But if we can really turn towards, you know, the, the reason people came here, uh, which is like the violent last 35 minutes or so. Yeah. It's, it's got everything, man. It's got, you know, it's got murder. It's got rape. It's got people, babies being thrown into burning churches. It's got people right. rounded up. And I mean, the screaming alone in the last 35 minutes is just like the screaming is unbelievable. And then the absence of the screaming towards the end of the sequence is like almost worse. Yeah. See, okay. This is what I want to talk about. Cause I think that both you and I and everyone who writes and talks about the movie are like, it's brutal. It's one of the most confrontational, visceral, graphic war films. But I want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. There are a lot of moments where Klimov does not show you the most graphic thing he could. And it is almost worse. You don't see any rape. You don't see any dismemberment. You don't go back inside the burning barn once the barn is on fire. The withholding of the brutal thing and the replacement of it with sensorial terror is, yes, I think, it's, the But it's worst. worse. Like yeah. to see a woman like like sort of, I don't even know how to describe her her walk, her slow, deliberate like trudge forward as like oh blood is coming down both of her legs because she's been ravaged so by the German soldiers is just like, fuck. 
Yeah. Like, yes, you didn't see, it didn't, it wasn't like beasts of no nation, like with that gang rape scene, which was totally gratuitous, but there is something gratuitous though, about this movie in what it doesn't show you. Well, the perspective is everything too, right? So what it, what you can't see is what is beyond the bounds of Floria's POV. You're wandering into horror after horror. And then, you know, every 10 minutes it checks in with him with this direct to camera close up and you see in his eye. There's a moment in this movie and George, you know, I'm of course still thinking about 1917 when it comes to recent war movies. George Mackay does the same thing. There's a moment for like, say, Kravchenko where his face just like breaks. Oh, yeah. And it's not the makeup. It's his his face is frozen into a mask that seems beyond acting. It's when the toxic nature of this movie destroyed this young man's soul. That's fine. We get to see it. Well, that's that's the thing is like a movie like this that finds itself on the edge and over the edge of what you can or should film 40 years later Right, it just or what's real feeling, and what's not real. Yeah, ends up feeling like this sort of... It ends up feeling as eternal as the evil that it is trying to portray. And it's ultimately kind of an exploitation movie, too. Because I feel like there is... And if I can critique this movie a little bit, I feel like that sort of over-the-topness of it, even if it's not as graphic as it could be, it's it's so outrageous to see how these Nazis are behaving. And you kind of forget at the beginning that it's not documentary and you just like assume the worst about like these Nazi soldiers and whatever they're doing. But I feel like once this movie dawns on you a little bit more, you know, hours or days after seeing it, it's like, we don't know that that is how it went down. And some critics do point out that it's a little outrageous to portray other human beings as bloodthirsty as they may be without a sense of pity whatsoever. Like even there's, there's not a single German soldier who feels bad about what they're doing in the moment. And that to me feels like what is Soviet and what is like propaganda about this movie. Oh, I don't, I don't know, man. To hear Klimov talk about it, like this is, this is stuff from like firsthand accounts from friends and relatives and writing partners, and you don't think that rape was rampant? He said there were things that, um, had he included them, he would not himself have been able to watch the film. I'm not gonna get aboard the like there should have been a moment of conscience from Nazis train, um, but I th- I think where it does verge on an exploitation movie is there's not a lot of Floria is a device Floria is a device to show you child and wreckage and that is is slightly exploitational because you don't see his growth or de-evolution through his thoughts or his dialogue or his expressions to people you just see um you know folkloric folkloric innocence and utter ruin So this is from the original Washington Post review when it came out. Klimov does go overboard with his portrayal of the maniacal Nazis slobbering and rabid as the red demons who crucified Rambo. And despite his liberal reputation, he even tosses a tiny crumb to the Politburo 
when one of the Nazi prisoners explains why they burned the Belarusian babies. Your nation doesn't have a right to exist. Inferior races spread the microbe of communism, he snarls. Yeah, totally. He puts the philosophy into the mouth of somebody who may have not said the philosophy in the moment. But that's the philosophy of why they're there. He paints all these people as true believers. And I think that that's a little naive that I'm sure horrible things happen. I'm not excusing what happened. I'm saying the portrayal in this film like feels on the level of like how Roland Emmerich portrays the Jason Isaacs in The Patriot. Like just like totally but that's in service of the plot. So it, sure. this one doesn't quite have that. And as a movie that portends to be about like the human condition and is otherwise so sensitive to how traumas affect us it's wholly disinterested in really any humans outside of this one boy's POV. Yeah. I think it's interested in the imagery more than psychology. I got to say though, and you got to be real with me chance that the show we do is called be real. And I insist that you be real right now. Sure. S- part of this movie, a good part of this movie is kind of boring. I don't know, man. I was, I was pretty wrapped it's it is taxing. You could talk probably talk me into a good bad at the end of this, but I don't think it's boring. Taxing. I feel like that's a worse word though than boring. I mean, it's a different kind of word though. Maybe I don't mean boring. Word. <laughs> Maybe I do mean taxing. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like by letting this movie in, I had both done a good deed, but also was sort of duped by it because it definitely played with me in a way that like don't you think the victory lap of showing hitler's rise to power in reverse while he shoots that photo is kind of like overkill after that fucking town sequence yes but at just that in point, case you're not familiar with the backwards events of world war ii here's a 10 minute sequence of it i think the point is that the only resource the only recourse for floria at that time is overkill his bra- his brain is broken. There's nothing to do except rage against this, you know, f- photograph floating in the mud and daydream of the most impossible rewinding of history's marching. But don't you think just the the sequence itself is overkill? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> God. It's like fighting World War 1 with you. You barely give an inch. Um I do find fascinating the actual ending ending though where he marches off into the woods with the partisans which is very upsetting i think the the guys on the prior podcast uh rightfully identified there's like definitely like violence begets violence he's gonna go do revenge but there's something so upsetting and mysterious and maybe even wrongfully exciting about this kid uh whose visage you've been confronted with over and over and over again almost at check-in intervals and then to have the final shots of the movie be losing the back of his head and not being able to find him anymore for Uh, sure yeah he does sort of disappear into the crowd again says something about collective pain and there's of course also the in joke of knowing that the soviet union loses 20 million men in this conflict so like the odds of any of these people though they they won the day they're not going to survive the war the fact that this is called the great victory is one of the more goofy propagandic names I've ever heard because the movie doesn't think that that's the, when you talk about the movie playing with you, 
how ready for were you over and over and over again for the partisans to save him? Did you think that was going to happen? I did not. Oh, okay. I thought he was going to die. At least show like, up. The... I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. It kept coming in the back of my head, of course, just thinking about the pieces on the game board of like the the Belarusians at the beginning who leave him behind. Like they must come back. And one of the great non-twist twists of the movie is that they do come back and the fact that they killed the Nazis is worth nothing. There's no catharsis to be gleaned from that scene where This movie's fucking brutal. Like I texted you when I the second I got out of it. I don't know how one puts this on unless one is looking for this sort of experience that you only get with like a truly fucking crazy war movie. That's the thing. If you are looking for once in a lifetime cultural portrayal of like what war could do to a child and a country and think about its resonances through the years, like I would recommend this, but like do not go in under any illusions about uh, Saturday afternoon entertainment. That silly phrase we so often throw around. And I think because of that, thank you to Janice for letting me see the movie in your offices. I hope to return one day, but I think this movie might be a good bad. It's, I think it's a rather easy good bad. I was kind of going to argue for good good because I truly was engrossed. I watched some scenes today. I have a, There's a lot of great writing about this movie. Um, you can match things up like the... For instance, all the partisans posing for the photograph at the beginning and seeing sort of like how wild and individual they all are, even as they're trying to fashion themselves together as a unit. That, of course, matches up perfectly with the photograph at the end where the Nazis basically take a selfie with the kid, like feigning that they're about to murder him. It's a it is incredible. Yes, Kubrickian and Melikian filmmaking, um, but it is a good bad. Yeah, when you refer anything to being like the work of Terrence Malick, I just hear, oh, it's hard to watch. All right. So come and see by our rating system. It's a good bad. Again, not a great fit for our rating system, but I was bowled over in in ways uh, both gratifying to me as a cinema goer and in ways that I could barely stand. Um, yeah, if you want my quote for the theatrical poster it was glad i saw it once i'll talk to you next time my friend